Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Trying to just grab all, grab all the bags, as the kids say. Is that how they say it? I don't know. Whatever. You're taking shots at the unathletic, arthritic, <laughs> old alligator? I can't find anything now. I'm a feeble old buffoon. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Silver 7's on a Thursday. Happy hour up in an hour, 277 on many of the drinks. Two bars to watch sports at. Tonight we got Lakers and Suns back. We've got hockey on the board as well. We'll get to the Golden Knights here inside of five minutes. Yep, there's a game seven. Unreal. Unreal. Maybe we all got too cocky. Maybe we all started to look ahead too early. Now you pay the price. Game seven. And I don't know if that happened to the Knights, but uh, hey, it's a matchup. That sucked going in. They wanted to avoid this matchup, and the Wild are a giant pain in the ass. Uh, we've got hockey starting today at 4 with uh, Montreal and Toronto. Toronto trying to close it out. Nashville, Carolina after that. So exciting times. Exciting times down here at Silver 7s. Our Thursday spot, our weekly Thursday spot. Boy, the NBA last night was fun. The NBA playoffs are cool, and you had you know good atmospheres. You got one of the favorites in the East in Philly. Beating the daylights out of Washington. You got a very excitable, a crowd like none other. We'll get into that. Uh, in New York, at Madison Square Garden, and then it's like caged animals yeah. coming into the arena. Like they haven't been anywhere in a while and can't control themselves. And in the case of Philly, it may have been just a few isolated fans led by the one who was dumping popcorn on Russ Westbrook's head in inside of Madison Square Garden. It was a lot more than that as the chants get more and more amplified, more and more filthy. And, like, on the front end, I'm like, eh, this is kind of fun, but it becomes this mob mentality and people start acting like absolute Neanderthals. And it goes from being fun and a little bit combative and players are reacting to it and Trey Young, it's bringing out the best in him to some moron supposedly, allegedly, spitting on Trey Young. So, like, I don't know. Does the NBA now need to tell all the teams and all the municipalities they're located in? You know what? Let's scale it back to 25%. You don't let anyone sit within 40 rows because they can't control themselves. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just the NBA either or, or any sports. Like, I was just listening to a comedian on a podcast this morning who kind of was talking about that, of, you know, some of these places that, He's like some of the places I've been on the road. Like you go in there, and it's like, it's like people, and not like it's it's true. He said you've got people that haven't been anywhere in a year, and either forgot how to act or just feel like so entitled to doing whatever they want now. It's like their uh, behavior changed because they were behind a phone or a computer keyboard, yeah. And they've gone from being Twitter tough guys to actually acting that way in public without any thought of repercussion. Like just because an entertainer is in front of you doesn't mean that you know you get to yell at them like they're on TV. Or dump popcorn on them. Or or dump stuff on them or spit on them. It it's baffling. And and again, like these are two very public incidents that we saw yesterday. And so, you know, I think we're you could say, well, there was, you know, twenty thousand people or whatever there was mm-hmm. in those venues and it was, you know, one or two idiots. Well, but in New York there were probably thirteen thousand people 
Channing, and we were laughing about it yesterday, Trey is balding, and then yeah. F. Trey Young. That's not one or two. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, Chance are fine. I like Chance, even if they're profane. Um, I know I, I I know Mike Breen, who's on the – he's a you know, national NBA broadcaster, but he's on the, the Knicks broadcast, finally got fed up, and he's like, all right, can we stop with the profanity? <laughs> this is getting out of control. Yeah. Now, I, I don't mind it, but I also – I do think we need to put ourselves in the position of NBA players – Whatever player, NFL players have had incidents in the past. We need to put ourselves in the in that position and go. How would you like to have f bombs yelled at you yeah. for an entire game? And then you start to think, like, hey, what's the next step? Then do they start throwing stuff on me? Then do they start spitting on me? Yeah, and, I, and, I think, and you can't blame them if they're like, what? That's what happened. Yeah, I think that's the 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 slippery slope argument, which sometimes actually is valid, but it's okay. Like I am okay with an angry chant or or a profane chant that's you know very over the top, but once you're allowing that and saying hey this is acceptable and this is fine, you know who's the one that that just feels like I, this is not enough now I got to go one step further now and like this is okay then what about this oh it's okay to scream f you I guess it's okay to dump popcorn on somebody like okay and I, I listen I'm sure there's people out there that watch it like. Why was he so mad? It was just popcorn. Who cares? Like, not, first of all, no, that's ridiculous. But second of all, like, it's it's again like, okay, so popcorn's okay to dump on somebody. Uh, what about a soda or a beer? Like, is that okay now? Like, what's the next one? Like, where where are we at? What's the level? Adam, as Westbrook said, would you do that to me in public? Right, of course. Like, if someone walked up to you right now and, and threw a soda in your face, you're like, hey, I'm an entertainer. That's what that's what comes with the territory. And what if what if Westbrook was was walking out in that you know in that tunnel? And he grabbed somebody's popcorn and threw it at them. What would we do? Forget what would we about say it. about that? Forget about it. Right. He's out of control and, and everything else. And, you know, I, I, I think you know, I think there's all those different levels. But, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's certainly a level of decorum that I think people that are just, like, being released back into the wild now uh, have forgotten just, you know, how to act in society and how to be civil. And that it's not, it's not, not – you're not over, interacting over Zoom anymore. Like these are real life interactions. These are real people that you're dealing with, uh, which is which is very different. All right, story of the day. We're here getting ready for Game Seven. Didn't think that was the case on Monday. Uh, well, no. From a from a sports perspective, no. Uh, from a I, I have seen this for four years now, and and listen, I know it's 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 a ridiculous thing, and it's not it's not real. I know that whatever is the worst possible outcome that could happen in terms of my travel schedule for the nights is what's going to happen. Who cares? It's always I knew. I I said to uh, I will I will tell you. And the audience cares about your travel schedule. Well, it's it's more what's. I'm just saying. Jinx. Well, you said we. The world. The world is against me, so I saw this coming. No, you said who saw this coming? I told my cousins. Well, they're gonna they're gonna get to a game seven because that's the worst possible outcome for me. Uh, which is going to happen, and that's what happened. So, who saw it coming? I did, I guess. From that, or sports writers have to travel for free to go see hockey games. Actually, I wasn't. I was going to go. I was paying to go to Colorado to see my cousins, and it just didn't work out anymore. Which sucks for me. That I don't get to see them, and I haven't seen them in almost two years. Uh, but yeah, th- this is th- this was what was going to happen because of that reason, and it's happened every year with the Knights. But no, it's it, from a sports perspective, who saw it coming? Yeah, probably nobody because of how the series was playing out, where the Golden Knights kind of struggled to find their footing early in the series. And they somehow found a way to have it 1-1 despite not playing very well at all uh, in those games until, until like late in that second game. 
and then they go on the road in third period, or excuse me, game three, the first period, they got absolutely wiped off the ice, and they still found a way to win that game. And then in game four, you looked and saw what happened, and you said, okay, well, the Wild are done. After after being probably the better team overall for the first three games, still being down 2-1, to one, everything is caught up with the Wild. They are done. They're down 3-1. They have to come back to Vegas. What kind of effort are they really going to give? Um, and we saw that the, the they came they came into T-Mobile Arena and really limited everything the Knights wanted to do. And then they go back to Minnesota and you know play kind of to a standstill for two periods, and then find a way to you know get a really really nice goal uh, on a breakout, you know in that in that third period and take the lead and take control of the game. And all of a sudden, you're faced with a game seven complete toss up scenario uh, for the Golden Knights. That yeah, I think from a sport, from a pure sports perspective, after Game Four, you could not see that coming. Yeah, I thought the game started turning around the ten minute mark in the second period because I thought from about fifteen down to eleven, there was some really dominant play by the Golden Knights. That's it was still scoreless at that point, like really good opportunities and just an onslaught, and they didn't get, they just could not put it in the net, and yeah. then all of a sudden the Wild kind of. Got it together, and from there, uh, it was a pretty even game. And and it's funny, uh, the broadcast I was watching, uh, the announcers kept saying, uh, you know, there's going to be a goal in this game. It, it's Eventually, there's going to be one that, that goes in off of something weird, you know? Yeah. And it happened a couple of times. Um, the Wild also... They showed how skilled they are up front when they yeah. got the opportunity. Well, and that's uh, – I know our, our friend Brian Blessing, I think, uh, tweeted about that. And then said, I guess I was wrong because he, he tweeted out – he said, this is the kind of game where there's going to be a really dirty, ugly goal right. that breaks the ice. And then all of a sudden it was just a beautiful, like, perf- perfect goal. That, but that it was funny it. the way it was set up because it was but, off a long yeah. rebound. It yeah. was off a long rebound and a breakout. And, uh, and, I mean, the great thing is Zach Parisi for the Wild – uh, great thing is, like, he wasn't really in the plans to start. Had fallen out of favor, wasn't playing and at all, hadn't, hadn't scored a, a point, and didn't record a point in a month. Freaking Johnny on the spot on a long rebound and then makes a beautiful pass off the board, and then all of a sudden you got, you know, basically a two-on-one and perfect passing. Well, and, and you know, Kevin Fiala is a guy, he made he's the one that made the pass, and it was just a, an absolutely perfect pass to Hartman for the finish. Uh, Fiala has been... Uh, I mean, frustrated, I think, is the right word for what has happened for the, in this series. He's been <laughs> creating chances and creating opportunities all over the place. He had 18 shots on goal. He had like seven or eight high-danger chances. Couldn't finish. And- God, I felt like there was a moment early on. I, I laughed because uh, the puck got locked up. Fiala was like on the glass behind Flurry, and like three Golden Knights skated up on him and like enveloped him. And they're all, they were all gigantic guys, and Fiala's not that big. And it was just like the image of, like, how is this guy on the ice? Well, you see why he's on the ice. Yeah. Everything is not about being 6'5", 6'4", 6'3". Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, he's incredibly skilled and incredibly talented player. And, uh, you know, second leading scorer during the season. Hadn't recorded a point in this series. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on all the uh, wild, you know, post-game and practice day pressers. And I've, I've been, you know, sitting through them all week. And, you know, it's just been a constant barrage. Like every time either Fiala is on or one of his teammates or line mates is on, it's, you know, when is he going to break out? What does he have to do to break out? When is he finally going to be able to record a point? And it's kind of over and over again. And Coach uh, Dean Evison has had to answer it several times. And all of a sudden, he keeps saying, hey, he's doing the right things. He's creating chances. He's right there. He'll get something eventually. And 
turns out it was a pass that really did it and then set him up to score a goal. I think the, the confidence was definitely boosted by that pass. And then he scored a goal in the power play, so so he breaks out. So, you know, some, some good things that the Wild have done, but I think the Golden Knights will look at it and say, well, it's more what we're not doing offensively. Fans won't say that, though. Boy, if the, la- the narrative last night for the fans, and it was a turning point, was the goal by the Golden Knights. It gets overturned, and then just a rash of complaints from fans as if the Knights got screwed over. Unbelievable from these refs. Not the way I saw it, and I also thought it was a terrible challenge. Have something to say? Tweet at Steve Gofield or call 702-364-1100 now. Three seconds tick off as the Knights dump it in. 4,500 on their feet in St. Paul. It's all over. Game six goes to Minnesota. 3-0, a shutout for Cam Talbot. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Final call, going to game seven. DGK can't close it out. 364-1100, Tanner wants in on Cofield and Company to talk about where the Knights are right now in the series. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Um, I, first of all, I just want to say thank you guys because every single time, like, well, I started driving about a year ago, and whenever I drive, I always turn you guys on, and it's always way better than listening to music. So, um, But the question I have is about the Golden Knights, and I feel like every single time that they're in a, um, they're favored in a series or even in the regular season, they always have – they always either make it closer than it should be or they lose, and it's just, like, very disappointing for VGK fans. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I think, first of all, the success builds expectations, and expectations are, like, the worst thing in the world. Uh, expectations change how you perceive everything. So I think I think that's t- completely fair. Uh, but in terms of like potentially closing out games or closing out series or um, whatever whatever that thing is, like I've I've never believed in. And I still don't believe in um, you know killer instinct. That weird phrase that really doesn't mean anything. But if ever there was a case where you were going to say, you know, oh a team doesn't have it or they haven't figured that part of it out. Like, this would be the example for it. Like, this is a team that consistently has struggled in in games with the ability to close a team out. And, and when they have a chance to put a team away, yeah, that has been an issue for them. Uh, so, so if there is, like, if that thing is a real thing, if that is a real, you know, characteristic in sports, I mean, I guess you could you could start to point at that and say, well, if, if it's not, what is going on with this team? Because it, it's been consistent now for a couple of years i still say short sample size and and you know you don't really know that but yeah that seems like something that has been an issue for them and uh, they haven't really figured that part of it out so i get why i get why people would be maybe you know disappointed uh in you know in their ability to uh, to do that to close to close things out to move on and, and to live up to what the expectations are yeah for sure all right, Tanner. We appreciate the call, buddy. Thank you. I understand a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans are oh sure are frustrated. Um, I I will say the defeatist attitude after the game last night. Like they still have a game seven at home. Their favorite. Uh, these games are up and down. They're period by period. Uh, there have been times when both teams have played really well and not gotten results. So you can you can see the wild side. Also, those fans being disappointed. Um, listen, I, I know what's coming on. 
officials, calls, reversals, when it goes against your team. But you got to be kidding me last night on the interference call, tuck in the crease. You watch the replay a couple times, you're like, he's there. It's obvious. There's no need for a review. And then the way it played out from there, they, they review it. I didn't think it was desperation time. It's a one nothing game. Then you're in a power play. They're able to take advantage of it. And then you've got fans all over Vegas are like, rip off. Like, but I, I didn't see you yelling about when you got the benefit of reversals. What, are you turning into me? <laughs> this is me. Like- I mean, I really, I, I, again, I don't have a dog in the fight, and I really don't hate officials, and I don't look for, I don't look at, you know, after the officials, get after the officials to, to blame, right? Well, I-, I actually love the series, the fact that they weren't making a lot of calls. Yeah. And when they've been consistent, if you freaking sniff the crease, it's getting overturned. Yeah. I, That's the way it's been. I, I just think, like, my thing is, I you know, when when a call goes your way, when it, when it goes in your favor, people tend to be like, you know, what, what are you whining about? What are you complaining about? And when it goes against you, you know, the whole world is, is against you and they're ripping you off and everything. Like, if you don't like interference calls, you don't like them taking off the board, then I hope when the Golden Knights were the beneficiary of calls that were correct, that you were like, this sucks. I hate this. This sucks. But you didn't. You were like, yeah, stop whining about it. We got it. Yeah. And then when it goes against you, you're like, this is unfair. I'm... Like, you can't have it both ways. Someone last night on our podcast said it was the worst call they'd seen in recent memory. Stop it. Someone else fired in. They're like, hashtag not a major? Yeah, exactly. That might, be, that might go down as the worst call in the history of the organization for like the next 30 years. But last night's call was the worst you've seen. And then I also like, I think I believe that that was the right call by the letter of the law last night. Uh, I think that the, the rule should be written. So that's not a penalty or that, if, that that's if, not, if the defender is holding right. you in the area, right. there's gotta be some leeway to be, yeah. a, you know, a little bit, uh, a little yeah. bit flexible. Yeah. It should, it should be more specifically written into the rule that, Whoever's res- most responsible for you being in that area, um, you know, should should be the one at fault or, or whatever. How you're going to do it, but listen, that makes the language even more vague. Like the language of the goaltender interference is incredibly vague. It is, and and people that know the the sport, people that know the rule, like inside and out, will tell you it's very inconsistent because the rule is written so vague. But by the letter of the law, it was the right call, and you were never going to win that challenge. Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield and Company. Silver 7's on a Thursday. We always catch up with Xavier Pope. Uh, We actually caught up with him a little before the show. Adam Hill, Cofield, and we started off the convo with Xavier talking about the stupidity of the fan dumping popcorn last night at the Philly Wiz game on the head of Russell Westbrook. It's despicable. It's no, it's no excuse for you to, to, to dump popcorn on another person. Like Russ, Russ, Russell Westbrook stated, you wouldn't do this in person, so why would you do this in, in a sporting event? And then when you saw the other angle that, that showed the fan just like emptying every single kernel he could possibly put on the side of his head, it was despicable. That guy should never be allowed in the NBA arena again. And but you know, I don't think enough um, was talked about the fan that spit on Trey Young uh, in Madison Square Garden. And so these people that 
spend a year inside. Now you're going to come to a game and be an idiot. Uh, that's, this is not the reopening that we should we should be we huh. should be looking for. There's a lot of issues, obviously, with both these, but let, let's start with the Westbrook one. And the thing I keep coming back to is, like, why is there such disproportionate reaction? First of all, not only from the law, uh, but just as us as a society, like, let's turn it around. If Russell Westbrook does something obnoxious to a fan on the way out or, you know, physically attacks him, which is what you're doing by throwing popcorn on somebody, like, the reaction is so much different and the outrage is so much different. I, I just think, like... You know, not just like like I said, not just legally. You know, we're like, oh, let's let's make sure this guy doesn't come to a game again. Uh, let's make sure this guy doesn't like interact in society again. We don't need that. We don't need that. Like, we need to have stiffer penalties for these things. Well, technically, pouring popcorn on someone is an assault. Yeah, Russ Russell Russ, Russell Westbrook is well within his rights to have press charges against that fan for pouring popcorn on him. People say, oh, it's popcorn, but um, assault is an unlawful touching. So. Um, if you touch someone with an object or whether it's with your, your hand or anything, then you are criminally liable. And if Russell Westbrook said, I'm going to press charges against this fan for pouring popcorn on me, I, I wouldn't have any objections to that whatsoever. <laughs> what a douchebag that fan was. <laughs> yes, com- completely agree. Uh, but it, and, and the same thing applies for Trey Young, right? I mean, spitting on somebody is absolutely assault. Uh, but what about in this era? Like, we are still in a pandemic you're spitting on people, putting, you know, bodily fluids on somebody like there should be heightened penalties beyond just like a simple assault. I mean, we don't even have water fountains back to normal anymore. Whether They may never come back. Actually, we don't have salad bars. We don't have any of these things that involve people putting their spit on things. And so to put your spit on another person just seems reprehensible. It's an ultimate sign of disrespect of another human being. And someone like that should never be allowed in the NBA arena ever again. Well, I, I do think it's, it's interesting in this, in this era where we are looking at potentially holding politicians accountable for their speech inciting violence. And we know there's a very high profile incidents of that right now. But, like, how do we feel about de Blasio whipping the public into a frenzy uh, about Trey Young? Yeah, the stick to sports is now done. I don't want anyone to ever utter the phrase stick to sports ever again. We had de Blasio with a hat on, <laughs> basically telling Trey Young to tamp down and, you know, just, just being an idiot. Um, and you are not supposed to be using your office. I know that, you know, you have mayors, you know, you lose a bet, you eat the, the favorite food from the different city. Uh, that's, that's fine and good. But when you start crossing the line and start acting like the worst type of fan, then now you're, you're abusing your office. I uh, I totally disagree with this. I, I When I saw de Blasio, I thought it was fun. I thought he was acting like a fan. He wasn't being nasty. That's the kind of sports talk stuff like, oh, you know, Trey Young, you know, he's trying to draw fouls. That's, that's just bad basketball. He's reading a quote from Steve Nash. Adam, I think – now you're – I don't even know what the terminology is here. I, you're taking it way too seriously. Well, I'm, I'm saying if it, if it went further, right? Like, let's say he's out there, you know, calling calling Trey Young out and, uh, you know, whipping the crowd into a frenzy about this, and instead of spitting on him, some fan is like, yeah, our mayor doesn't like the way you're doing this. Like, you're coming into our city and doing this. Like, we're going to walk on the court and take you out. That's on, the, that's, he, but that's on that's on that's on the individual. That's on the individual. I don't I don't think that that's what De Blasio is doing. He just looks silly doing it. Of course, <laughs> that's that's really more so my criticism. Is, 
<laughs> he just didn't look like the coolest fan. Let's stick on the NBA and the fans versus the players. I thought Kyrie Irving's preemptive strike was kind of interesting. Um, he didn't outright say, hey, you know what? Boston fans in the past have been racist to me. They've said things to me. He actually said they haven't. They didn't really say anything to me, but he did mention that uh, he's ready for some subtle racism. So what did you think of what Kyrie Irving did before he goes to Boston? I think that what he's doing is basically egging on fans to actually become be racist. We have a society right now when you call out racism, racists actually get louder. Um, and, and so Kyrie Irving is not in, in insulating himself for doing that. Um, and so I don't think it was the, the smartest of moves by, by Kyrie Irving. Um, and to say I may receive this type of treatment now, maybe talk about some racist treatment he's received in the past and, and discuss that. But to project that in the future, I don't necessarily think that was the, the smartest thing for him to do as a player. Let's uh, mention what's going on in the NFL from a progress standpoint. And, you know, I guess things have to happen so that we see they're happening. Uh, the, the light is shined upon the issue. Eugene Chung, a Korean-American, had an interesting story to tell last week where he said uh, he sat down for a job interview and someone in NFL brass, you know, for a team said, uh, hey, you're – you know, you're minority, but you're not the right kind of minority. Number one, it displays the racism of the modern minority myth that's been pressed upon Asian Americans. And it's something they push back on an AAPI community in terms of being the acceptable minority. But it works against them in discrimination. Uh, where do you see many Asian American coaches, general managers, and ownership groups uh, in the National Football League. It's very sparse, just like it is for uh, Latin Americans and African Americans. So their representation is important. Um, and so we want to see more representation in the National Football League. And I, I was I was thankful that he spoke out for this. But not only that, many African American journalists and those in the sport, including the Fritz Pollard Alliance that advocates for African Americans in coaching and as well as um, other positions in, in, in Major League, I'm sorry, Major League, not Major League Baseball, but National Football League, stepping up and putting out a statement supporting him. And I think it's very important that all marginalized groups speak up for other marginalized groups. And we've seen many of African Americans in this time with violence against Asian Americans reach uh, an unprecedented level to speak out for Asian Americans, knowing that our their fight is our fight, our fight is their fight. It's interesting that you know I you know, I I say all the time like I, I feel like I see race and everything I'm always accused of injecting race and everything but I I usually like notice it more like uh, what the Kyrie Irving thing was of of the subtle racism like that's what you see the outright just like blatant racist things to be like those are just they're stunning I guess they shouldn't be but like those are the ones you're like wait a minute what is even going on here. Like, usually it's much more subtle than this, right? Like, it, it's a very weird thing to just have it outright, you know, say that, that's why I was so, like, t taken aback by this one. Because I'm like, that's just so blatant. See, this, that's, see, Adam, the issue is we've had a society that's moved from subtle racism to blatant racism. But the gift that blatant racism and open bigotry has done, it creates the avenue to be able to defeat it because – one of the major stumbling blocks of fighting racism in the last 20 years has been this way to attack certain groups and use how they live and work 
And that is the, the mechanism to be able to discriminate against them. And it's more difficult to prove uh, intent. And that's what's required to, 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 to battle against racism. So when you have openly open racism that is proffered, then that is something to open to directly fight against. And it makes it easier to be able to uh, strike it down. So bring on the open racism so it can be openly strike down. Xavier Pope is on Cofield and Company. Uh, this story is very much in its early developments. Senators Chris Murphy and Bernie Sanders are introducing the college athlete right to organize. So it's sort of dealing with name, image, likeness, but it's going to the next level where there'd be collective bargaining rights for college athletes. They'd be deemed employees. Schools would be employers. Uh, while we're seeing, it's interesting, around the country, a lot of the, like, the really passionate sports states, especially when it comes to football, have all jumped in on the NIL thing. Like, hey, we're going to get our players taken care of because we want players and we want to be good and we want to have an advantage, right? Like the Big Ten's dragging its feet, haven't heard anything in the Pac-12 region. Oh, Big 12 and SEC? Oh, they're all about NIL. But this next step, I think, is the level where they're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Collective bargaining? What's going on here? How do you think this is going to play out? Two things. First, the, the bill addresses to to reform the National Labor Relations uh, Board. And that was the avenue where uh, Kane Coulter attempted to get athletes to college athletes to be able to unionize. And so if you don't have legislation or anything on the books that makes it easier for college athletes to organize, having to buck up against a system it's a little bit more challenging. So I think that has to be changed. So I support this bill to be able to change the mechanism. Now, the issue is in certain many of the states uh, that you see in red country are right to work states that prevent public employees from unionizing. So many of these universities, you know, like a University of Alabama, or University of Mississippi, or these different places have right to work laws, make it a little bit more difficult for, 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 for public employees to unionize. And essentially that would, what college athletes would wind up being in place in places where the SEC uh, are are powerful. So, how does the change in the National Labor Relations Board buck up against what's happening in right to work states? If this passed and they get it through, there would be a lot of things to figure out, as you said. Like certain states are going to be different than others. The whole thing's going to be weird. But would this be kind of the beginning of the end for the NCAA? Like we've been talking about it forever, but it seems like this would be the the first. I guess the first last straw, if you want to, if you want to put it that way, of it's probably all over for them. The NCAA is facing an uh, institutional crisis right now. Um, you have athletes that are on Twitch. They're finding new ways to make revenue that they hadn't in the past. And so at some point, the rubber has to meet the road where we will college athletes even look at college as a viable option to be able to make a living and to be able to build a brand when we see teenagers on TikTok making millions of dollars. And so I think it's not just the, the arena of sports has changed, but also the arena for people to be able to create their own content, to be able to, 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 to be masters of their own brand that's changed and the NCAA is sitting around on a rocking chair talking about get off my lawn. Xavier Pope is going to stick with us here at Silver Sevens. On the way back, we get into the legal ramifications of Shannon Sharp and Julio Jones and that odd spot they did on FS1.
anytime. The Golden Knights are on TV. Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Xavier Pope is with us here on a Thursday. Xavier, give me your take on what happened with Julio Jones, Shannon Sharp, and if that conversation was somehow illegal. Well, the first question I asked Steve was, did Julio Jones know that he was being recorded? Because Shannon Sharp was at Fox Studios in Los Angeles, and California is a two-party state, which means before you record a conversation, you have to get permission of the other person to be able to have the conversation as opposed to one-party state which only requires the person that's recording to be able to uh, have that recording. And so that was the issue that we saw with the Donald Sterling and uh, Vivian Stiviano and the issue that that caused Donald Sterling, his team of the Los Angeles Clippers, is sharing information about Magic Johnson. And so this is a big issue. Now, Julio Jones said he did not know. And it also potentially put his contract or his reputation in terms of how he's moving around, his free agency, his dollars in jeopardy. And so Fox Sports and their they have to be able to protect themselves because now there is an independent personality that's under contract with them recording a conversation. And so now they have to jump back and say, hey, we didn't know either. <laughs> so they are on a hook for liability. So there are so many different layers of this from a legal standpoint, from, from Fox Sports side, also from Shannon Sharp side, also from Julio Jones side, also from his relationship with the team, also with his relationship with the NFL, and also any relationship that Fox itself has with the NFL in terms of broadcasting games. So it is so many layers to this beyond just, hey, look at Julio Jones wants out. That's like the smallest part of the issue <laughs> is whether Julia Julio Jones wants out of the Atlanta Falcons. As far as you know, there's no difference, I think, between recording, according to the law, and broadcasting, right? I mean, that would be the same thing to me. And then the, the other part of this is, could you argue, and I think this is ridiculous, but I'm just trying to think what the defense could be. Could you argue, hey, Julio, you know I'm on the air at this time and you called me. Like, what what were you thinking was going on? It's on you to know that you know that what, what time my show was on. That's a really great question, Adam. Number one, live, live broadcasts really aren't live broadcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so when Shannon Sharp is talking to Julio Jones, there's a delay in terms of when it actually airs because you because there are guests on, they may say certain things that may need to be censored. And so you have that element that shows it potentially the difference between something that's quote-unquote live or that's recording. The second portion of that is I don't think that Julio Jones knows every aspect of, aspect of Shannon Sharp's life or a, a potential uh, uh, broadcast that's going on. He could be at a commercial break and talking him at him between commercial breaks as well. And so it is incumbent upon the individual that is recording to actively seek in the most clarity as possible, making sure they're getting permission from the other party to be able to make a, make a recording. Like I said, I have a lot of takes on this Julio Jones thing. Um, from, the, from the relationship standpoint, you know, between a former player and a current player, one, I don't know if it was a work on both sides. Like if Julio Jones... <laughs> knew it was happening, and now he's trying to, you know, his uh, his agent's trying to cover things up because the, the Falcons and the NFL are pissed off about it. 
that, that kind of takes a little steam off of what I'm going to say here because I think Julio Jones actually accomplished what he wanted to. He backed the Falcons into a corner. Is now being you know forcing them to trade. Of course, I think he also he stuck it to them because now their leverage, in, you know, in terms of uh, trade gets screwed. But I also wonder from a media standpoint if Julio Jones didn't know this is really interesting that yeah, like I I wonder in the player community if players are looking at Shannon Sharp and they're like, bruh, what are you doing? You're building your career on the back of current day players, kind of screwing them over. Yeah, I mean, Shannon Sharp is, you know, he said he says your uncle Shannon when he <laughs> picked up the phone. So I, I'm of the mindset to say Julio Jones set this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and I think I just think it happened. And I don't think they he may have thought through the legal ramblings of two two parties stayed. They didn't think about any of this stuff. Neither did Shannon Sharp. Hey, let's do something. Let's cause a buzz. I get my show gets the attention. My it gets the clicks. It gets the eyeballs. It works for Shannon. Uh, we get the drama. It, it drama works for television. Julio Jones get the leverage he's seeking, and even so, all the legal back and forth. No one's gonna do nothing, right? <laughs> There's no no action is gonna be brought by Julio Jones versus Shannon Sharp. It's not gonna be brought against Fox Sports. It, the NFL is not going to do anything against Fox Sports, and neither will the Atlanta Falcons do anything against Fox, Fox Sports. So we're, there's no tampering ability to happen because Shannon Sharp is not involved with any particular team in the National Football League. So there are legal issues, but they are less; they're far less likely to be enforced. So you're right, Steve. If Julio Jones set this up and Shannon Sharp set this up, they accomplished both objectives for raising the profile of Shannon Sharp's program and also leveraging uh, Julio Jones to get traded. Yeah, and, and anyone mad at Shannon Sharp and they're like, where'd you learn this from? The guy across the desk. Skip Bayless <laughs> has been running a bit on us for 20 years and he's making freaking $8 million a year. All right, we got to close on this one. In the Department of Lameness is the leader of these MLB city hats with the, oh with the area codes. <laughs> I know Kansas City was all pissed off. Because they missed the the primary KC area area code. What about the Chicago hat, dude? There is no one that likes these city area code. First of all, it looks like a gift shop hat. Uh, it, it, I'm from Chicago. They had a six one eight area code. That's the southern tip of Illinois. They had two one seven in the mid. That's downstate. Those are all Cardinals fans. It, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I mean, they had area codes in various places where people were like, these people don't even live here. These aren't even fans of the team. I mean, they just smacked on a, a palm tree on the L.A. teams. I mean, they, this was the worst idea ever. Whoever designed these hats, I mean, God bless you. I know everyone needs a job, but it's time to find another one. I mean, that just was not a good execution whatsoever. I don't know anyone who would wear those hats. If you were from that city, it's an absolute insult to everyone that claims to love their city. Adam, Adam can tell you that my thing is gift shop hats. Uh, in fact, I'm so cheap that I actually won't go to a gift shop in Vegas to buy the gift shop hats. I go to the swap meet in town, and there's, <laughs> there's a lady who's got them for four bucks a piece, and they are horrendous. But like, there's, there's, a, there's a point here. Like, you know, I'm trying to be a cheese ball. So I don't know what MLB was trying to do. Adam, which of the 600 cities that you grew up in and that you claim fandom for, which one will you latch onto and buy one of the city hats? 
I'm not buying a city hat, but if if I were if I were to do it, it'd be Detroit, of course. Yeah, but the the Giants are good. Why not jump on the the hot property right now in the San Francisco Giants? Uh, you know that I'm only you know I only like teams that are bad. Once a team is good, I'm I'm out. So you're you're out on the Golden State next year. Uh, if we get good again, if, I'm probably if done. we if we he yeah. became a fan last year with the We Believe. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> Hey, one one last thing to get to with Xavier. We appreciate all the time because he's a busy guy. Um, I saw a picture of CC Sabathia. What happened to this guy? He was like 320 pounds pitching for the Yankees. Now he looks like he's a freaking 22 year old spry tight end in the NFL. Jack, flat stomach, ripped. You know, someone commented to me that maybe he can now juice without having any be <laughs> tested. But I mean, to get that in shape after playing the game of baseball, God bless him. I mean, I, I didn't think he had it in him, and clearly he does. I mean, no Shake Shack for him. No. But why? But why? why? Like, why? You're retired. Now's the time to live it up. Why are you getting in shape now? Because you see a lot of these guys, they, yeah. they, they hang it up, and that's when the pounds go up. And so, you know, and they, they you see them hobbling around, all the injuries <laughs> catching up to them, man. So it's good to see guys actually leave the game uh, and they, they wind up getting in better shape than they were on the field. But it was I was completely shocked. I was like, wait, is this CC Sabathia? He looks even he looks younger now than he yep. did before, too. What's on suit up news this week? Uh, we're talking about the backlash to uh to racial injustice uh and calling for calls to to for racial justice in this in, in this country following George Floyd uh on the after the anniversary, as well as Amy Cooper following her suit against uh, her former job. So we're just talking about the backlash uh, to progress and how we need to be back that. Good spot. Thanks, Xavier. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. There he is, Xavier Pope, our legal analyst out of Chicago. We're about 20 minutes away from getting back into the Golden Knights. Rough game six. Now we got a game seven on the way. We'll find out what Darren Millard thinks. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino.